I don't know if it relates to the whole block size war thing in 2017. I don't know if it's something else, but um, we changed the focus. Like, the focus is not really on Bitcoin anymore. It's on all the things that Bitcoin isn't. Hello there. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into today's interview, I do have a message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Cake Wallet, who I have recently started using as my mobile wallet for Bitcoin. Now, Cake Wallet is a non-custodial wallet, which means it protects both your security and privacy because it doesn't share important information with unnecessary third parties. With Cake Wallet, not only can you hodl Bitcoin, but you can easily pay privately with Monero. It has advanced features for Bitcoin, including coin control and automatic address switching. The app is also designed to make it very easy for you to set up your wallet and back up your keys. If you want to find out more, please head over to cakewallet.com or search for Cake Wallet in the Apple or Google app stores. Next up, it is BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online business banking services for companies in the Bitcoin and wider crypto industry. And yes, I am now a customer of BCB too. They heard about my difficulty in finding a payment service provider that understands Bitcoin and they reached out to me. So I've moved all my business banking across to BCB and I could not be happier. BCB clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds and miners active in UK and Europe but they are now expanding globally. They have an amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have had trouble with this. If you're looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies, rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you may want to become a BCB customer. If you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Next up, it's Compass Mining, and they are not just a sponsor. I am a customer of theirs too, and I am mining Bitcoin with Compass. I've been mining for over 10 months, and I've already mined over 0.7 Bitcoin, which has more than paid off two of my S19s. Anyone can start mining with Compass Mining, and to help you, Compass has launched the Compass Score to help you make informed decisions about your next mining purchase. The score highlights how good each ASIC deal is based on a number of factors, such as price, mine age, difficulty, hashing power, and the current Bitcoin price. Compass makes mining accessible to everyone, and as a Bitcoiner, I am happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. If you are interested in mining and you want to find out more, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G dot I-O. Also, we have Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm still only buying. Come on, look at this market. It is the time to buy. We're not sellers right now, are we? Now, I am also using the Gemini app for buying these dips, and I have also set up a DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. Gemini are running a special offer for listeners of What Bitcoin Did, all you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade over $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Rudy. What's up? What's up, man? How you doing? Good, good. Thanks. This is a risky episode. No man, it's not risky. Listen, <laughs> thanks for coming in. Good to see you. Yeah, first time yeah, we've ever awesome. done. First time we've ever done a show in person. Yeah, yeah, we've had some good interviews before, but never face to face. Good interviews, good panels. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, tricky subject I want to talk to you about yeah. today. Um, it's a bit like when I do the climate ones. I've uh, had the discussion with Alex Epstein and then Andrew Desler. I've got both sides and I think I'm going to have a similar thing with this topic. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to Rizzo when we're in New York. Yeah. But uh, I want to talk to you about Bitcoin maximalism because uh, I think of myself as a Bitcoiner. Yeah. Sometimes I've called myself a maximalist, but then sometimes I haven't because I've realized maybe I don't follow uh, some of the same principles as some of the maximalists. But like one of the things I was conscious about, me and Danny were talking before the show, is uh, I want to be a positive force for Bitcoin. I don't mm. want to do bad things for Bitcoin. And there has been this heightened discussion recently. We're in a bear market, so it naturally happens. But yeah. there have been some heightened discussions around what maximalism is, what it isn't. And I felt like you would be a good person to talk to. Yeah. I know you like to trigger people sometimes, <laughs> but uh, I always find interesting to talk to the people who push against ideas, challenge ideas. I think that's where some of the most interesting discussion is. So how are you feeling about this? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm. People definitely considered me a Bitcoin maximalist for you know for a while for for years probably, and um, I think. I never liked the term. I always, you know, I always said that I don't like it and don't identify as one. But obviously, for for obvious reasons, I think people saw me as a Bitcoin maximalist, which which I understand. Um, it's hard to define it, right? Like I think the the most like courteous um, definition I would give would be like, well, it's someone who only wants to focus on Bitcoin, and that's I think that's super reasonable for anyone to to decide that they only want to focus on Bitcoin and not on other things. Um, you know, just in general, humans who choose to focus on a specific thing, they often do very well, right? So it makes sense to specialize. And if the thing you care about is Bitcoin, that's great. But that's not really what, you know, when, usually when someone calls themselves a Bitcoin maximalist, I don't think that's really what they mean. Like, they don't mean I only focus on, on Bitcoin. And you can see that with um, um, just the way that people speak about other things, right? Like, um, I think a lot of so-called Bitcoin maximalists spend a lot of time talking about things that are in Bitcoin, right? Like about how Ethereum is bad and how other tokens are bad and so on. And and those, I think those are the people that that um, one, identify as Bitcoin maximalists and two, other people seem to identify them as Bitcoin maximalists. So like coming up with the exact definition of what it means, I know it's really difficult. I think it's difficult for for a lot of things. And we we you know we had this very short back and back and forth on Twitter where you asked like what Bitcoin maximalism is, and I I said to me I think it's almost a distraction to try to define it because people know we're like when when we say Bitcoin maximalist, I think people know who we refer to, and 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 those people call themselves Bitcoin maximalists. So I don't think we need to guess. And it's it's it seems very similar to a religion. Well, I, I think on that there is. There's two separate things. I think uh, it's easy to identify who is a Bitcoin maximalist, mm-hmm. but to actually fully understand what Bitcoin maximalism is. is, I yeah. think it's a it's a bit harder. And yeah. uh, I I don't do many interviews mainly because I'm shit at being a guest. But when I do, <laughs> and it's I, I tend to do it on non Bitcoin shows, and I did one in the FT, and I I think I referred to myself as a Bitcoin maximalist because mm. it felt in that scenario it was a useful term, mm. and then I could say, well, it's. It's the only cryptocurrency I'm interested in. It's the only one I work on. It's the only mm. one I own. It's the only one I really talk about. That's that's how I used it. But recently, I've felt like a bit of a hypocrite, and I shouldn't be using that term because I've had discussions. Well, I've always said, actually, ever since I started the show, I see a use case for Monero. I see scenarios mm. where I want to use that, and 
been criticized for it, but like I've stood by it because because I do. And even more so recently, I've been trying to, I wrote a tweet about trying to square the circle of not liking shit coins, but also following what Gladstein says about the usefulness of digital dollars in certain parts right. of the world. And like, I can't square that circle. Like, how do I criticize Tron and Ethereum as shit coins while at the same time knowing, you know, in Palestine, access to tethers is, is super useful. So, yeah. so I've stopped to, to using the term to self-describe, yeah. but, at, but at the same time, I don't want to fight Bitcoin maximalists at cross purposes. I don't want to have that argument. I don't want to have that disagreement because I think we agree. Most Bitcoin maximalists, I think I agree on 95% of things, 95% yeah. of things. And then we're arguing over this 5%. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it feels destructive. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's accurate. I think, you know, um, most Bitcoiners I know, you know, I've been around for a little while and I know um, Bitcoiners from a few generations, right? And, most of the ones I know from, you know, let's say the 2017 era or before, um, while a lot of them are, again, only interested in Bitcoin, at least in the cryptocurrency sphere, you know, like there are a lot of people who hold Bitcoin, do <laughs> completely other things in life. They bought some Bitcoin a long time ago, put it aside. They're usually doing the best of all of us, you know, they put some Bitcoin aside and they just mind their own business, do other things. And they're not, they don't focus their lives on Bitcoin, but in the cryptocurrency world, they only care about that Bitcoin, and and, and I think that's very reasonable. Um, but we, I don't know. I think we we maybe because we tried to. I don't know if it relates to the whole block size war thing in 2017. I don't know if it's something else, but um, we changed the focus. Like the focus is not really on Bitcoin anymore. It's on all the things that Bitcoin isn't. It feels like. I th I think the constructive way to how do you mean? What do you mean by that? Well, Bitcoin isn't um, um, great with privacy. Bitcoin isn't great with um, retaining its value over the short term, right? Because of volatility, Bitcoin isn't great with uh, building decentralized applications. I think that all of those things are fine. Um, Bitcoin wasn't, you know, didn't necessarily set out to fix those things, and and it, Bitcoin is doing great in what it is. Um, but we seem to be really focused on what it's not, you know, and and I think that's why it's so destructive, you know, because I mean I don't know I don't see people who are Tesla fans um, going around and saying that um, Apple is a terrible company because it's not making cars. Like you know, it's just it's not the, the companies don't compete. Why <laughs> why make it into a competition? Well, I, I can empathize with why people do because. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to lose a lot of money, very even with Bitcoin. But it's very easy to lose a lot of money, and yeah, uh, there are there are certainly. I'm not in the everything that isn't Bitcoin is a scam because I think it's important to uh, separate outright scams like OneCoin, which is designed mm -hmm. to rob people of their money, yeah, from ideas which are stupid mm -hmm. to ideas which maybe are different from your worldview. I think you've, yeah. got, you've got to separate them to, uh, separate them all so you don't just give the... Because I think I think putting an outright scammer in with somebody who's just got a stupid idea, I think that is fraught with danger. Um, but what I was thinking about with this show is like I always want to make shows that are useful. And uh, I don't want to piss people off for no reason or two at all. And I thought what would be useful today with you is as somebody... 
one of the funny thing is I probably disagree with you a lot on things. Mm -hmm. I put out a lot of tweets where you like instantly challenged me, but at the same time, I don't fall out with you. We don't, we don't block each other. We've yeah. not said we can't be friends. We, we will have a beer, you know, we'll fly in and yeah. meet up. And, and I think that's healthy and I want a lot more of that. And I, that's why I wanted to approach this with you first and say, like, what is, like, I want to get to the bottom of what maximalism is. I put out the tweet. I said, because mm -hmm. everyone was arguing, I was like, well, can anyone clearly define what Bitcoin maximum, Bitcoin maximalism is? And it got a range of uh, replies from personal kind of definitions to being mocked, uh, to being subtweeted. There was a range of things. But I, I actually meant that. I was like, I, I don't actually know what it is. Yeah. I, I know what it is to me, but I don't really know what it is. And if I don't know what it is, and if I was to criticize Bitcoin maximalists, are we actually arguing across purposes? Because I'm I'm criticizing on one point, and they're defending on a different point. They're not even aligned. And I think that's potentially an issue. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. I think, you know, um, there's definitely a lot of talking past each other all the time, for sure. Um, there, there are two, so I think there are two ways to try to define it, right? There's. Can we do one thing before that? Sure. Because the question I have for you, and I'll answer it for me, is like, what what is Bitcoin to you? Mm. And in your kind of like long-term trajectory worldview, what would be a success for you? For Bitcoin? For Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, Bitcoin, I think that Bitcoin is a neutral form of money. I think that's the thing it's best at. Um it's predictable and it's neutral. There's no one who can change it, um, and that has, you know, that has value. Um, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not sure if it's the most important thing in the world, <laughs> you know, but it has value. I think it's still today undervalued by most people. Like, you know, you could buy some Bitcoin today, put it aside, save it for your grandchildren, and you know that they'll they'll get the same Bitcoin that you put aside today. It wouldn't be inflated. It wouldn't be confiscated. That's not a lot of other assets that you can do that with. And it's digital, you know. So I think that's, in itself, that's very unique. That's great. It also, being neutral and being censorship resistant, it also allows for... Um, a lot of use cases that I don't think are necessarily a great fit for Bitcoin, but they can start with Bitcoin. So, so for example, um, you know, we had uh, dark markets very early on. They don't necessarily use Bitcoin as much these days as, as they used to, and I and and I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, maybe they moved over onto Monero. Maybe they have some other payment schemes they're using. They proved there's a use case. There's they proved there's a group that's interested in those things. They proved you can build a market there, and then they started looking for for things that are better fit maybe than Bitcoin. Um, and I think that's fine. And I think you'll see that kind of, um, you know, same thing with uh, usage of Bitcoin in 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 countries where you can't hold dollars, for example, where people would want to hold dollars but they're not allowed to. So. I think earlier on, people, yeah, used to use Bitcoin for that. A very small minority of people, but still some people use Bitcoin for that. But then as stable coins um, became more and more popular and people trusted them more and more, a lot of people are saying, look, I just want access to dollars. <laughs> you know, I'm not here for the ideology of Bitcoin. I just, I just want access to dollars. So as long as the stable coins exist, I'm going to use them. Maybe if, you know, if Tether stops working or if Circle stops working or whatever, then maybe I'll need to reconsider Bitcoin. But for now... You know that's that's the best solution for my problem. So I think 
uh, I think Bitcoin allows for a lot of that kind of experimentation that eventually settles down somewhere else. And that's an amazing thing. That's great. That's a win, you know? Like, yeah. Now people have the freedom to try things out that they couldn't before. And, um, and you know, eventually arrive at a solution that, that, that works better than what they have. That's, that's, everyone should be happy about that. That's good. Um, I just don't know that Bitcoin is going to be the long-term solution at every point in time for every person. And I, I feel a bit similar. Uh, I agree with you. It's great to have uh, this form of money we've never had before. Any of us can, you could get out your phone. I can send you some Bitcoin now and you hold that. I think that's great. I think it's pretty cool that when, when I went to El Salvador, I, last time I didn't use a cash machine. I just used mm -hmm. Bitcoin because I was only a Zonte, mm -hmm. uh, which was just interesting. Yeah. Just a very interesting thing. And uh, there was a time where I couldn't get, I couldn't pay a cameraman in Japan years ago when I went out and did the Mark Carpellis interview. We, we couldn't get the banks to connect. Mm. I sent him Bitcoin. There's lots of things like that that are super cool. And it's an amazing thing. And like you say, you can hold it forever. I can leave it for my kids. That's really cool. I think my long-term goals are more towards maybe some of the more Austrians in that I think uh, if Bitcoin was widespread enough and it it brought a little more, little bit more economic responsibility to the state, I think that would be super cool. I, I, I love yeah. that idea. I'm not so, I'm not one of these people who believes in the complete collapse in the state. Not because I'm a statist cuck, but actually because I think the, the state is a natural monopoly. So if you get rid of the state, a new one arrives, and it might be worse than you have. And I, I'm just not there yet. And I'm also not fully clear on the consequences of a Bitcoinized world. I don't know if there are negative uh, consequences that we haven't fully considered. It's like it's an area I'm still exploring. Yeah, but um, but that's kind of where where I am with it, and so it's it's really important to me. I mean, I've dedicated my life's work to it now, and I'm not going to work on anything else. Yeah, so it is really important to me. But at the same time, I'm I'm super conscious of not doing, as I said at, at the start, I don't want to do things that are bad yeah. for Bitcoin. I would hate to drive a narrative or do something on the show that led people to think something that was wrong. Yeah, and hence why uh, why we're here. Yeah. Um, so I interrupted you earlier. I made you answer that question before. Yeah, um, I think we um, there, there are two, I guess, two ways <laughs> to try to define what maximalism is, and and they're they're very at odds um, with each other. And one one way would be, you know, I like the way that Pete Rizzo puts it. Um, that's really maybe kind of a cultural phenomenon that is trying to answer a question of how do we make sure that um, you know consumers are protected and how do we make sure that people build on Bitcoin even though um, it might not be financially uh, the best decision for them. Um, and, and, and Bitcoin maximism is sort of this cultural ideology that tries to answer those questions. And I think that's one way to put it. Um, the, you know, the main, it, it, it might be the reason why maximism exists. Um, I would just argue that it's not doing a very good job at it. You know, like if, if the goal of Bitcoin maximalism is to prevent scams and protect consumers, well, did it do very well at that? You know, like in the last two years or so, we've had a lot of scams, a lot more than before. So in the last two years, the Bitcoin maximalism do a good job at stopping scams. I would argue it didn't. And it's not, it's not about, you know, it's not really about intent. You know, like it's possible that people have the best intentions at heart. 
And, you know, when I say this, people very often get defensive and they're like, well, it's not our fault that there are scams. We tried to stop it. It's not our fault. And yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not blaming Bitcoin Mexicans for the existence of scams. But I think that if we, um, if we claim that our goal, that the thing we're doing is to protect consumers, then we have to ask ourselves, are we doing well? <laughs> you know, if we're failing at that, then maybe something's not, you know, maybe something's not working. Maybe we should change things up if that's the goal. Well, there, there are certain people who will say they have, they have been protected. I mean, I get, well, we get emails into the show saying your show has made me focus on Bitcoin. I haven't got involved in any other mm-hmm. shit coins. I haven't lost money there. That you'll see people tweet out and say it's, it's, it's the... Uh, Bitcoiners have led them to a path of Bitcoin maximalism, and they focused on Bitcoin, and it's yeah. saved them money. There is a there is a weird kind of there is a weird kind of thing there, and that there are people that actually have made money on all kinds as well. So there are a lot, yeah, yeah. It's, it's we're talking about the bag holders who who rode it up and rode all the way back down, and it never came back. Whereas Bitcoin, we have had consistent cycles where it keeps coming back. So there's that kind of belief that you'll get that with Bitcoin. Of course, it's not special to Bitcoin though. Like Ethereum is very similar in that yeah. regard, right? Like so, and and people who you know bought Ethereum early and held did much better than people who bought Bitcoin at the same time, right? Um, so it's not unique to Bitcoin. There are, there are definitely other coins that, that can claim to have been around and, and their holders have done very well. Um, and I think that's, so that's part of it too, right? So there, so yes, there, there, there are certainly people who chose not to use other coins because of you know, Bitcoin content and, and, and Bitcoin Twitter and, and so on. Those exist. But the question of impact, I think, is well, compare that to the people who didn't listen and how much that group grew in the last two years. Um, but isn't that natural? In that, I think it is, yeah. Yeah, because the crypto ecosystem is huge. There's a lot more entry points in. Sometimes it looks a bit more fun. No, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, I think it's very natural, of my, course. My 18-year-old son uh, certainly thinks NFTs are cooler mm-hmm. than... Austrian economics. Right. I can explain to him why he shouldn't buy an NFT and I can explain to him why Bitcoin is born. And that's great. And he listens and he understands because he has me around him. But his friends, their dad doesn't have a Bitcoin podcast. They're just kids who will see something on Instagram or Snapchat and it's NFT. It sounds cool. And they'll buy it and they'll invest in it. They just miss that whole right. kind of protection zone that, that yeah. my son has. Yeah. No, I agree with you. It's very natural. It's very natural. But then, again, the question is, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make a moral argument against Bitcoin maximalism. I think, I think in a lot of cases, not always, a lot of cases, the intentions are very good. Um, not always, by the way, <laughs> but in many cases they are. Um, but uh, the, the, I'm just saying, you know, looking at the results, and of course it is because it's natural, looking at the results, I don't think that it's achieving its goals in the last two years, you know? Could you argue, well, I would argue mm-hmm. that it, it kind of is in some ways, mm-hmm. in that uh, very, very few altcoins as a percentage of the ones that were created mm-hmm. have actually uh, had a long-term kind of life. And there was a tweet that came out, there was a really interesting tweet, I think it was Scott Melker, is his name Scott Melker? Don't he? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he put out the biggest uh, altcoins of the next cycle have not even been created yet. Which is this kind of like conveyor mm-hmm. belt of altcoins that come out? Maybe mm-hmm. it's a multi-coin thing, or a, 
Yeah. You know, uh, A16C, they'll do a bunch of new investments, they'll go up, they'll come down, whatever. And, you know, there's this like endless cycle of the creation of them. But during that period, there'll be winners and losers. But if Bitcoin keeps growing, like, uh, like uh, it becomes like kind of like apex predator that starts to pick people up yeah. from that, yeah, that have uh, gone into these projects and lost money. So eventually it could be like Bitcoin maximism in the short term doesn't look like it's doing its job. But actually, as long as it keeps picking up people and itself keeps growing, eventually it will do. Does that make sense? It does make sense. But now we're now we're introducing a new goal. So the 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 goals I was kind of alluding to, and of course it comes down to definition again. But the goal, goals I was kind of alluding to were um, protecting consumers from from harm and scams and whatnot, and encouraging people to build on Bitcoin. Um, and I think those two goals clearly were not achieved in the last two years. I think I would say if if those truly are the goals of Bitcoin maximalism, then I would say that maximalism failed in the last two years. Um, because look, <laughs> there have been many scams, many people fell to them. Sure, some people listened to Bitcoin maximalists, but most people didn't, you know? And um, And then, so the question is, maybe the goal of the Bitcoin maximalist isn't to protect consumers. Maybe the goal of the Bitcoin maximalist is to say, I told you so. But, that, but that's okay. That's, that's okay, okay. Because, okay. Because some will listen on the way. Yeah. And then some will get burned mm-hmm. and then ultimately become a maximalist. I mean, even if I'm not, I'm close to it. I, see, I only hold Bitcoin at the moment. Right. And I've been through that process of getting burned and realizing I can't trade. And I, for me, it's just, Long term, it just makes sense. I'll just hold Bitcoin, and 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 that's worked for me. And and I, I maybe Bitcoin maximalism isn't so much as a preventative measure, but it is like a, a set of values and principles whereby when people do go out and get burned, they don't listen. There's like this welcoming arm that says, "Come back in," and says, "Here we go." I love that. <laughs> I just don't think it's happening in in, in practice because I think it is. Well, you know, we can just just looking at the data. You know, like there are a lot of um, you know research done. Where you know mostly, uh, you know, a, a bunch of firms are going out and asking. You know, like there are a lot of firms that that made the poll about Amer- how many Americans own Bitcoin, how many Americans own crypto, how many joined in the last year or two, and the results are always conclusive. Like it's very rare that someone would only own Bitcoin these days. Very rare. Um, most Bitcoin holders, at least at least in the Western world, own crypto too. Um, you know, like eighty percent of them. So, the the idea of Bitcoin only is is very small. It seems like people are moving to the, um, you know, more kind of open minded camp, but not really in the reverse direction. You know, that seems to be the case. So, it is true, and we've seen that in the previous bear market, right? That people have have done the, you know, they've done the shitcoin stint, <laughs> didn't work out well for them and then moved back to Bitcoin maximalism over the kind of bear market. And you could argue maybe the next bear market will we'll see the same thing happen. Um, but so far, I think if you look over time, it seems like more, you know, more people hold Bitcoin plus other coins than, and, and not that more people are holding Bitcoin only or a larger percentage. The percentage of people who hold Bitcoin plus other coins is growing over time across bear markets too. So, you know, I, I, I just don't think it's true. <laughs> you know, it's, an, it's, a, it's a good, you know, it's a good story. I wish it was true. I believed it at, at a point in time, but I don't think it's true. And there are many reasons for that. I don't think, you know, it's not, 
I really don't want to frame this as Bitcoin failing or losing. I'm still bullish on Bitcoin. I find it very hard to be long-term bullish on, on other cryptocurrencies, um, especially the ones that exist today. But, but, you know, I can't tell you that for some of those things. So, you know what? Maybe that's a good, a good time to introduce um, some arguments for why, you know, shitcoins are not necessarily all bad. You know, and there are things like exchange coins, right? So, you know, uh, BNB for Binance and FTT for FTX and whatever. A lot of the new um, exchanges, newer, right? Like uh, the post Coinbase exchanges, most of them seem to have their own token. And really, what those tokens are, their form, like the mechanism differs from, from one to the next, but generally they, they, they try to have some form of, of revenue share with holders of the coin. And they do that with, you know, various ways. Sometimes they, um, sometimes the exchange will buy back the coin with, with the fee revenue and burn it. And then you would expect, you know, supply goes down. So maybe, you know, maybe if the exchange does well, they burn a lot of their coins and then there's less coins, uh, in the market, and then maybe the price will go up. That's kind of the thinking for some of them. Now, I don't know if it's going to work or not. I don't, I'm not saying it's going to go up or down. I don't know, but um, it seems to me like a very relevant, like a very, you know, there's nothing wrong about this model as far as I can see. Um, there are obvious problems as far as security regulations um, are concerned. Mm-hmm. You could definitely argue that that's a security. I mean, it certainly is. A, it is a security. Uh, it, well, it depends. I guess for the SEC, it probably is considered a security, probably. Um, I, then, but, I, yeah, you I, know, like there are countries that don't have the same laws as the United States, right? Of course. But there is that. But I also think that you can get into that area of the ethics of money creation. Mm-hmm. So the question is, why is that money? Like, I don't see BNB from Binance or FTT from FTX or, you know, the, all the many others. I don't see them as money. I don't think anyone does. Very few people would, you know, would hold the coin of 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 uh, the Huobi or whatever and try to pay with it in, in a store, or or try to even make you know a large payment to someone and say, hey, do you expect, accept Huobi coin? Like that's, I don't, I don't think anyone sees that as money. I don't think anyone sees that as a saving technology. People see that as as investment in the exchange. <laughs> you know? so, so why do you think there's this universal rejection of these altcoins? And I actually wrote something down here. Do you think it's a little bit like uh, think think like with regards to gun regulation in the U.S. There's a massive debate at the moment. There's been lots of issues with um, mass shootings, and whenever there's any discussion about any form of tightening of the regulations, even the smallest amount. There's a huge rejection from any, anyone who is a mm-hmm. proponent of guns, spe- specifically the NRA. Even though some of them you think, well, that, that sounds maybe reasonable, maybe not allowing an 18-year-old to buy a gun. <laughs> I came to the realization at 18, you're still a child. You might be mm-hmm. an adult by the law, but you are still a child <laughs> and incapable of making certain decisions. You know, maybe if you're thinking someone can't drink at 21, maybe they shouldn't have a gun. I don't know. <laughs> the, points, the points are relevant. Somebody listening will be yeah. shouting, and no, let everyone have a gun. The, the point I'm trying to get to is that is it more about holding the line? Therefore, we cannot allow one change in the the laws regarding firearms because you give one and eventually they'll come after yeah. this and this and it's never ending. Yeah. So hold the line. Everything but Bitcoin is a shitcoin and then we don't have to have this debate because yeah. otherwise, you. Bl- do you think that's happening? 
for sure. I think it's a, yeah, I think it's a combination of, yeah, just holding this hard line and just saying everything because it's simple to communicate. And I think also a lot of the, you know, practitioners of, of, of this, uh, of Bitcoin maximalism, they, you know, they, they one lack the, the knowledge and the tool to, to discern between the types of, of cryptocurrencies. So they, they themselves, I think a lot of them think they're right. Um, I, I think a lot of them don't think that they're being hardliners. I think a lot of them think, yeah, BNB is the exact same as Shiba Inu, you know? Um, and so, so I think most importantly though, again, look, it's, it's, I, I'm not making any moral judgment about their intent. I think that in many times their intent is very good, but the question is, does it work to say that BNB is as bad as Shiba Inu? Because when you say that, people are not going to listen to you on BNB, and they're not going to listen to you on Shiba Inu, and they're not going to listen to you on anything. And I think we've seen that. You know, I think we've seen that. Um, one of the, uh, I think it, it's, it was very obvious, for example, to see when um, early on in 2020, a lot of Bitcoin maximalists got very mad at, at, at Elon Musk, you know, for, for being a proponent of Dogecoin. Me too. I yeah. got mad at him. And, and I mean, I, I can fully understand why. I mean, obviously, Doge is a joke and it's ridiculous. But then again, I don't know if he clearly struck a chord with people. And the problem was, you know, while Bitcoin maximalists were fuming at the mouth on this, the price just wouldn't stop going up, wouldn't stop going up. And, and you know, like from the very bottom, you'd have Bitcoin maximalists shouting, Elon is scamming you, he's going to steal your money. And meanwhile, everyone who, who got into Doge was getting rich. Now, even now, after Doge collapsed, I don't know, 90-something 90, 90 percent, I have no idea how much, a lot. It's still way higher than it was in, in, in 2021, in early 2021. So, you know, anyone who neglected to listen to Bitcoin maximalists then, sure, they lost a lot of money from the top, but they still made, you know, they're, they're still made, I don't know, 10x or whatever. That's pretty good. So am I saying that it's a sound investment? No, but I'm saying those people are not going to listen to Bitcoin maximalists anymore. You know, could could there be another angle at this in that it's um, these altcoins are a distraction from Bitcoin? So if you're a Bitcoiner who believes that uh, it's especially, I mean, it's highly relevant right now. We've seen we're seeing economies collapse. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sri Lanka is a very obvious case study for bad policy, economic mismanagement. Um, it's um, a catastrophe there in the country right now. And therefore, you can see why some Bitcoiners believe that sound money within a country like that would be useful, mm-hmm. whether it is the only money or alongside a government. In that, if that is the case, then there is like perhaps this moral duty to promote Bitcoin because the more people who come into it, the bigger it gets, the quicker mm-hmm. we can avoid situations like that. So it becomes like a moral imperative to write, to direct people towards good money. And mm-hmm. I can I. I accept and like that as an argument. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that. Uh, I, again, the only problem I have is that it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm on board with that. I think, yeah, I think it is moral to, to teach people about the benefits of Bitcoin and to, and to help it propagate and to help more people, um, you know, enjoy the benefits of Bitcoin. I think, I think it's, a, it's, yeah, I think it's a moral and virtuous thing to do. Um, and I think that the way that Bitcoin maximalists are doing it isn't working. Now, it's, it's, look, obviously it's working on some people, right? And I think that the Bitcoin maximalist group is growing. It's not shrinking. I think it's growing, but it's growing much slower than anything else in the cryptocurrency space. So, is it really though? Or is it just certain, t- like if you, if you pick your timeframes, 
Mm. Some cryptocurrencies will grow super quick on a short time frame because it's new and interesting. Low liquidity means higher gains. I just don't. I don't mean about. I, I'm not. I'm not referring to the prices okay. at all. This isn't about the market caps and the prices. Yeah, for sure. The look. The prices are all manipulated. It's all like definitely on the short term. There's not a lot of information to glean from that. Um, but um, you can just see just number of people and just you know. Talk to people in the U.S. who are interested in, in in crypto in the last year. How many of them got Bitcoin? How many of them got other things? Not all of them bought um, Shiba Inu. So a lot did, but not all of them bought Shiba Inu. Some people bought Ether, you know, and they they're planning to hold Ether for for the long term. I don't think that's I don't think that's a scam. I don't think Ethereum is a scam. You know, we had these discussions before. Um, I certainly didn't think Ethereum will succeed as much as it did. Well, I think it's very difficult to define a protocol as a scam. I think yeah. you can define the actions of somebody behind it as scammy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you certainly can describe some coins as like, oh, like one coin is a scam. Yeah. Okay. I struggle to call Ethereum a scam under yeah. any definition. Um, but I understand the definitions other people call it a scam. But I can certainly see how you can identify the claims or the promises of certain people behind it as potentially scamming. Yeah, I mean, look, I think, sure. And there, there are, you know, there are more influential people in Ethereum. Obviously, you know, Vitalik, Joe Lubin are in, in some sort of a leadership position um, and some others too, which doesn't exist in the same way in Bitcoin. You could say if someone like Vitalik says something that's false about Ethereum, then maybe that's a scam. Um, you know, I find that just looking at the things that Vitalik says, I find that he tends to not talk about you know, promises about Ethereum as much as he used to, right? So I think he kind of changed the way he, he acts about those things. Um, and and certainly there are a lot of people in the Ethereum camp who are saying, yeah, uh, Ethereum is better than Bitcoin. Ethereum will replace Bitcoin. Ethereum will be ultrasound money. I think those claims are ridiculous. Um, but they're just people, you know? There are a lot of people in the Bitcoin camp making ridiculous claims too. Um, you know, so... I don't think it makes Ethereum a scam or scammy. Yeah, some of the Ethereum proponents are either batshit crazy, some of them are bad people. Sure, yeah, that exists. That exists on Bitcoin too. So what? You know, like we have to look past those things. So if you were to attempt to steel man the Bitcoiner argument, the maximist argument against altcoins, can mm-hmm. you do it? Um, yeah, I think, well... Because I think I think the consistent one is I'm saying it now, I'm answering for you. But I believe that all coins will trend to zero versus Bitcoin on a long enough time frame. Therefore, there's no yeah. point having them. I mean, that's that's only true if you believe that everything in the world will will trend to zero versus Bitcoin. Um, you know, like you shouldn't buy a house because it will trend to zero versus Bitcoin. Maybe that's true. I don't know. But um, well, that's actually come out recently. People said like a house is a shitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I think sometimes it's like you know, it's a joke, and that's fine. It's okay to joke. Uh, some people are probably serious about it too. Um, you know, you need houses, right? <laughs> I, I, I don't think I need to explain that. And um, if you believe that that house, the real estate will trend to zero versus Bitcoin, I mean, I get maybe it's fine. I guess it's possible, but um, I, I wouldn't say that that makes real estate a scam. And the problem with saying that you know you group all of the cryptocurrencies together, like there there are so many different types of them. So again, you know, there's the exchange coins. 
what are you telling me? When you're saying that the exchange coins will trend to zero versus Bitcoin, what are you telling me? Are you telling me that the exchanges will disappear, they will cease to exist? Are you, are you saying that Bitcoin will grow faster to, than exchanges? I'm not sure if that makes sense because people need exchanges to buy the Bitcoin. So clearly the exchanges will make money when that happens. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how that works. Like how does the exchange coin trend to zero while Bitcoin goes to infinity? I think I think I buy the argument certainly on any coin that is just trying to be money like Bitcoin, so a BSV, a BCH, right. a Litecoin, uh, even a Monero. But then I think when you're when you've got like for like things with, which are just trying to act as money, right? When they're trying to act as money, then it kind of makes sense they would trend to zero against Bitcoin, right? But I think it's when some, when something acts more like equity, that mm-hmm. it's a, I think it's a different argument. Yeah, yeah. So I would agree with that. Yeah. So I, I think. When you say another coin is trying to be money, and the obvious examples are stuff like BSV and BCH and whatever, those, you know, I was very happy to call those a scam back in the day, you know? Um, but I think it's very difficult to look at Ethereum and say, hey, Ethereum is exactly the same thing as, as, Binance, as a BSV. It's, it's just not, you know, it's a completely different beast. And it's, it's the performance of the price will be different. I'm not saying Ethereum will outperform Bitcoin. I don't know. I don't think it will, but I don't know. Um, but it's definitely going to be different than BSV, you know, and trying to group those two together. I think it just doesn't make sense to outsiders, you know, who look in and they say, well, I need to make a decision. I think there's something on going in the crypto world. I think I need to make a decision now. And they're looking for all the opinions. And I think that the opinion of the Bitcoin maximalist camp just doesn't seem to make sense because people try to group Shiba Inu with Ethereum and, and, and the Binance coin. That's just, you know, those are very different things. Well, this is where I think, therefore, we can then separate the uh, money maximalism from the protocol maximalism. When I put out that tweet, um, Brady, is it Swanson? Swanson. Swanson. I always say Swanson, it is Swanson. Um, he put a really good reply to it. He said, uh, maximalism to me is two things. It's, I believe that an open monetary network will trend towards one mm-hmm. and an open protocol will trend towards one. So if we talk about the, the, the money uh, cryptos, they probably will trend to zero against Bitcoin. So then you have to talk about, well, an open network mm-hmm. uh, will trend towards one. So eventually, and, and, and there is that belief, like people think you will have tokens and equities and things built on Bitcoin. Um, liquid, which I know you've been critical of, but people mm-hmm. you say you can do it there and maybe it will happen there. And I think therefore the claim is, why would you build on anything else when you can, yeah, when you can build on Bitcoin? Yeah, well, it's very easy to answer that. So you only ask this question if you're not in, you know, if you don't have any intention to build anything. If you are an actual builder, there's no question. Why would you ever build on Liquid today? Because you need, you know, you need exchanges to list your coin, uh, your, your security, whatever it is, you know, call it a security if you want. You need exchanges to list it. You need wallets to support it. You need users who can use your thing. And Liquid is not widely deployed at all, and Ethereum is. That's just the case. That's just the fact. You know? So if you're a builder and your goal is to build a useful product or service for people, Liquid is not an option. It is not. It's not a maybe. It's not a let's consider. It's just simply not an, an, an option because the tools aren't there. The infrastructure isn't there. Nothing is there. In 10 years, maybe. I don't know. But right now... It's it's not it's not on the you know it's not on the consideration table. Like when a when a founder thinks about how they're going to build, they'll think maybe Ethereum, maybe Solana, maybe whatever. They're not going to consider a Bitcoin sidechain because that's not that's just not a practical solution. And you know the the 
the attempt to paint those founders as like bad people and as scammers, some of them are, a lot of them are, but I think it's fundamentally or, or, you know, wrong because some of them are truly trying to build something that they believe there's demand for in the market. They're trying to solve a problem for real people and telling them, well, why don't you just build it on Bitcoin? But because I can't, you know, like I can't. I, w- I want to build a solution now. The solution is not an, it's not an ideology. I'm trying to build an actual solution and I can't build it on Bitcoin because the tools aren't there. The infrastructure isn't there. There's no support. There's no, you know, anything. You know, go make it. Make it happen. Make, you know, make exchanges accept liquid deposits. Make wallets support liquid. Then we can talk about it. But right now there's, what, one wallet with 10,000 users <laughs> that has liquid support? Like, it's not, you know, we can't even discuss that. So this, is, this comes down to then the, the timeframes of certain technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first uh, got my first mobile phone, I had a house phone. And then... When I first moved house and got my own house, I didn't even bother with a house phone. Mm. Now I can't even remember the last time I used a landline. So landlines have had a, like a time when they were the dominant form of phone, and then they had parity with mobiles, and now you know they're losing against them. So I, I guess in that scenario, what you're saying here is there was Bitcoin, and now there's Ethereum you can build on. But there may come another time where everything can be done on Bitcoin, and then Maybe. Ethereum's time might end. And why should someone be denied the right to build something on an application? when the other application can't support it. Is it really, is it, because I mean, I'm not technical. Uh, (laughs) So so I wouldn't understand what can and can't be built on Liquid. Um, I I wouldn't even go there. I think, I mean, look, Liquid is is factually a lot more limited in what it can do compared to, let's say, Ethereum. But I, you know, there are ways around that. I wouldn't even go there to the technical part. I would say, look at deployments, right? Like Ethereum, MetaMask right now, is the most popular crypto self-custody wallet in the world. They have 30 million active users, okay? That's way more, and they don't support Bitcoin at all, (laughs) but it's the most um, popular and widely deployed wallet, okay? And then look at liquid wallets. I really don't, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I'm saying maybe 10,000 active users, probably order of magnitude less, but let's be, Let's be nice, maybe 10,000. Okay, so there's no, you know, there's no question, even if Liquid could do everything and more than Ethereum can, it only has 10,000 potential users. Of course, you're going to go to the 30 million. Like, what is even the question if you're a builder and you're trying to build for people? There's no question. Okay, before we carry on with the interview, I do have a message from my amazing sponsors. From the people behind sportsbet.io, we have BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino. Trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide, not only do they have cutting-edge security, but fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money can't buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other and 24-7 live chat support, BitCasino is the best Bitcoin casino out there. To find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And please remember to gamble responsibly. Next up, it is BlockFi. Now, BlockFi bridges the world of traditional finance and Bitcoin, empowering you for this future financial world. And for those people living in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides the easiest way to earn more Bitcoin. There are no fees to use the card, no annual fee, and no foreign transaction fees. You can earn 1.5% back in Bitcoin 
on all purchases forever. And you can earn 2% back in Bitcoin on every dollar over $50,000 of annual spend. Now, if you want to stack sats with BlockFi, then please head over to BlockFi.com to find out more and read the terms and conditions. All available at BLOCKFI.com. Next up is the Pacific Bitcoin Conference, hosted by Swan Bitcoin on November the 10th and 11th this year in sunny Los Angeles. Now, I've known Yan, Brady and Corey for years, and they're pulling out all the stops to make this the biggest Bitcoin-only event ever. I'll be emceeing the conference along with my friends Natalie Brunel and Stefan Levera, and there's going to be an incredible lineup of speakers. This conference is going to be the right mix of education and good fun, with unique experiences such as a surf simulator and an 80s arcade gaming lounge. They are inviting the smartest minds in the Bitcoin space to discuss a range of topics from macro to nation-state adoption and from mining to lightning. Whether you want to attend or sponsor the event, you can find out more at pacificbitcoin.la, which is P-A-C-I-F-I-C-B-I-T-C-O-I-N dot L-A. Also, we have Ledger, and the world's most popular wallet just got better. Ledger has recently announced the launch of their Nano S+. With a larger screen, it is now easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions. And the Nano S Plus maintains the same level of high security as all other Ledger products. I have been a Ledger customer since 2017, and I absolutely love the S Plus. Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. If you want to find out more and purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. So why do you think some people are so ardently against these other protocols and people building on them? I think that um, I can tell you why, why I was against them, right, mm-hmm. in the past. And I think that maybe that's a similar reason for other people. I think that um, when, when we looked at Ethereum, you know, when it launched, let's say in 2015, 2016, um, technically, there were a lot of reasons why it shouldn't have worked. <laughs> you know, it made a lot of compromise that seemed wrong, um, both technically and, and financially and economically too, um, there were a lot of things we thought were mistakes, right? Um, but turns out, it got, you know, we got more and more adoption over time. Some of the economic, um, uh, I think, blunders that Ethereum made early on were changed, right? So if you're economically, if you look at ETH right now, it is more sound than it was seven years ago. It is uh, for holders. For holders, it's literally better than it was before. I'm not saying it's as good as Bitcoin. Bitcoin, you know, when I, when I hold Bitcoin, I feel safe and, and I know that it's going to be, you know, it's going to stick around for a long time and I don't feel the same about Ether. But um, it's definitely better than it was in 2015. So your defense is it's not so shit. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, and it depends. Look, it, it depends on what you want. The the nice thing is, um, let's say you want to use, um, let's look at Celsius, right? So you know, obviously Celsius uh, blew up recently, lost all of. I mean, well, we don't know yet exactly what happened, but it seems like they lost all of customer funds and will not be able to pay them back, probably, unless you know some miracle happens. And the, you know, if 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 instead they they would have used something like you know Aave or Compound on Ethereum, which are, I wouldn't say that they're decentralized. Like people call uh, call those things DeFi and de- decentralized finance. I, I don't think that the term decentralized fits, but it's transparent, and it is auditable. So even if it's not decentralized, you can see what's going on, and 
you can't really get away with a lot of funny business there. Like you can't wake up one day and realize that all the money is gone. That's not really possible. Well, that be yeah, but that does happen. Well, it depends on which which protocols, but it doesn't happen with with, for example, Aave and Compound. So you know, again, that's the thing. Anyone can start a DeFi protocol. Anyone can start a, upload a smart contract to Ethereum, call it DeFi, and and ninety nine percent of it is going to be junk. But Compound, Aave, some of the, you know, so-called, I mean, I don't even know how to call them, but there are some, look, fundamentally, you can look at how they work and they are transparent. And there's not much that can happen. Now, there can be hacks. It's possible that someone, you know, it's possible that, that a developer made a mistake, that a coder made a mistake, and that someone will exploit that. That's a risk. That's a real risk. But other than that, they're transparent, you know? So you can you can at least know that if, if there's no bug, um, then you can expect how things are going to play out. And you're not going to wake up one day and realize that people, uh, someone stole all the money from, um, from uh, Aave, for example. So, so is, it, is it more... Unless than, there's a hack. Yeah. So is it more than potentially a cultural war? I mean, we're in the midst of a, a cultural war at the moment, but is it more like a cultural war in that... Um, there are these fundamental differences. So Ethereum is moving, apparently, mm-hmm. to proof of stake, which is considered, um, let's say, a more centralizing force. Mm-hmm. And Ethereum did have a pre-mine, which if you you know, discuss or read up on the ethics of money production, a, a pre-mine is arguably slightly, you know, not slightly, but less ethical. Mm-hmm. Um, is it because uh, Bitcoin tends to be move slow, don't break things, where Ethereum is move fast, break things. So is it just a set of cultural differences about how people consider money and cryptocurrencies? Well, that's the claim. There's a claim that it's a set of cultural differences, but um, I would posit that it's that it's fake um, because, you know, Bitcoin maximalists start companies, right? Which, as, as they should, and, and they start businesses. Those businesses... Um, sell equity, they create equity, they give the equity to the founders when the business has started, and then they sell some of the equity to, to early seed investors. Um, that's a pre-mine. But, but equity is different from money. When you're, when you're making the claim that uh, Ethereum is ultrasound money, that's very different from right. equity in an investment. Right. I, I don't like that analogy. Well, so I think that Ethereum is not an ultrasound money. I yeah. know that some people say that it is. I think they're wrong. And I would say that Ethereum is very similar to an equity. Um, I know that's, you know, obviously a lot of people in the Bitcoin camp are saying, hey, Ether is a security. If you believe that, like, why is it a security, right? Why is Ethereum, Ether a security and Bitcoin not? Well, because Ether has some similarity to, to some sort of, you know, a, Maybe not equity, but it, it, it certainly tries to do revenue share with holders of Ether. And, and cer- certainly the way it was sold originally is kind of similar to an equity sale. So, you know, I think Bitcoin maximalists recognize the, the similarity for sure. So I would say, yeah, that's, that's what it is. Now, I don't, I don't particularly care about American regulations on securities. That's not my problem. Um, if, you know, if Americans want to support the SEC, that's, you know... I, I don't, I'm not going to intervene in that, but as a non-American, I don't particularly care. The founders who create those coins don't particularly care if they're not Americans. And if you know, if Americans want to stay out of this entire thing, okay, they can stay out. I don't, you know, we don't. I, I don't know why it is Bitcoin maximalists who are choosing to, 
to to you know promote the idea of the SEC saving the market. But sure, you can do that. If if American Bitcoin maximalists want to do that, that's their prerogative. That's none of my business. But for the rest of the world, they seem to be okay with a, a different set of regulations. You know, so I don't see anything wrong with someone issuing a token and saying, yeah, I'm going to use this token to share uh, my, my share revenue with my investors. I think that's fine. Um, some of them scam. That's not fine. <laughs> but if you don't scam, I don't see the problem. So there'll be people who won't even like the fact we're having this conversation. For sure. And they won't like the fact that we're having it on a, what is considered a Bitcoin yeah. podcast. Certainly won't. It happened recently, I had Seth of Privacy on, and we discussed Monero. Yeah. And uh, people, some of the comments are like, oh, why don't you launch what Monero did? Or you're a shitcoin, or is this a shitcoin podcast now? So it immediately comes out. And that's fine, I understand that. Um, so some people won't like the fact that we're mm-hmm. having this conversation. I do. You like it, I, don't you? I Dennis? like it too, for sure. I think it's an important <laughs> conversation. Yeah, I think it's important because, um, firstly, for me, just on a personal level, is to understand what Bitcoin maximus, what their goal is. Do I align mm-hmm. with it? Therefore, how do I support it? What's the purpose and the goal? And therefore, what are the actions I can do to help support and make Bitcoin stronger? Yeah. So it's an important conversation to yeah. have. And I certainly haven't agreed with you on, on a few things through this. Mm-hmm. But there was be, well, there will be some people who just don't like the fact the conversation's happening, they're listening. What would you actually say to them? Um, you know, I think, as, as you say, I think we agree on most things. Um, you know, I think that the concept of a free market and and allowing people to innovate, I think it's it's things we agree upon. I would say, take a look at what changed in the last two, three years in the crypto space. I think that um, a lot of the defensiveness stems from how, you know, in the last bull market in 2018 or whatever, it was all scams. It was. Everything, 100% of it, almost, maybe except for Ethereum itself, but everything that Ethereum did, for sure, was a scam. And... And they just assume that it's the same this time. To a certain degree, it is the same, but not 100% of it. So I think if you take a look, I threw out some names, you know, I threw out some names about exchange coins, about uh, lending protocols on Ethereum. I think those are very reasonable services that offer something that is valuable to their users. Their users don't have to use ETH. They can use bit, they can use you know WBTC, which is pegged to Bitcoin, just like Liquid is pegged to Bitcoin. It's the same thing. Um, it's a real service that is valuable. You know, like people, there are, I know a lot of people who own some Bitcoin want to take a loan against the Bitcoin, want to take a dollar loan against their Bitcoin, keep holding the Bitcoin, not sell it, and take a dollar loan. These lending protocols allow you to do that without KYC, um, without censorship. You can do it anywhere in the world. I think that's a real benefit. I think that's good. I don't think we need to hate on that. What, what are the risks, though, in the inherent risks in those platforms? Again, bringing it back to uh, my world of being kind of a uh, bit of an idiot, what, where could I go wrong wrapping some BTC and taking it online? What, what could I... So um, if, you, if you wrap BTC, then that means you, you give up custody of your Bitcoin. Okay. You give it to, in that case, BitGo. I think BitGo is a very established custodian, but you definitely give it to BitGo or, or, or one of their partners. I don't know exactly which one it will be. And, and you get a token that represents that deposit. Now, that's very similar to depositing you know, on BlockFi, on Bitfinex, on 
on Square, on, you know, you make a deposit of the Bitcoin, you no longer have custody and you get a service. The difference is you get the service in a way that is transparent, auditable, and permissionless. You don't need to ask permission. You don't need to provide any identity information. So I think that's an improvement. Is it, is it fantastic? No. You know, there are drawbacks, there are risks. Main risks would be either the protocol itself gets hacked or um, maybe something happens to BitGo and they lose their Bitcoins. That's possible too. But those things are transparent. You can at least track them. You can see where the Bitcoins are, the real bit BTC is. You can see it on the Bitcoin blockchain. You can see on the Ethereum blockchain that the loan is backed. You can see that no, you know, there, there weren't $500 million that went out to three hours capital and, and, and aren't accounted for. You can see that. So you don't need to trust anyone on that. Um, there is some trust involved. There is some risk involved. But I think I would say it's less risk than, you know, giving your, your money to BlockFi and taking a loan. Just, just because it's more transparent. Not because I don't trust BlockFi. Not because I don't, like, it's just transparent, you know? So I think that has value. Now, if the only reason you don't like that product is because it's built on Ethereum or because the founders chose to um, incentivize investment using a token instead of equity, then I would say that's not a good reason. You know, I think if the service is valuable, if it solves the problems, you know, the Bitcoiners are talking about, Bitcoiners want to, 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 to be able to do those things without KYC. Those are things we care about. So it solves them. It doesn't solve them perfectly, but it's, it's better than what we had before. If the only reason you don't like it is because it uses Ethereum behind the scenes or because the founder issued a token, don't buy the token. You don't need to buy the token. Don't use it. You know, just take a loan. If you only don't like it because there is an existence of a token somewhere, that's very odd to me. I don't understand that. So what, what do you think the purpose then of Bitcoin maximalism is? Because it's, it's certainly, the, the things I would bucket, put in the bucket have changed in the five, well, since, let's say late 2016, early 2017. So about five, five and a half years, yeah, that I've been kind of like more heavily involved. Mm-hmm. There's certainly been, been a change and the dyma, dyna, dynamics have changed. And there seem to be, for me, there's monetary maximalism, there's protocol maximalism, but there's become this whole kind of cultural movement around the almost like fiat world, fiat mm-hmm. art, fiat food. And I think Bitcoin has been right on a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I certainly think there's been misinformation with regards to food over the years. I certainly think central planners getting a lot wrong. It's a lot of that's being exposed. But um, where do you do? Where do you think the important parts are for, for you as a Bitcoiner? Not for them. For you as a Bitcoiner, what do you think are the things that Bitcoiners and Bitcoin maximists could be doing or should be doing, which are important? Um, I think that. Um the most important thing is to understand the problems that people have in the world today and try to see or show how Bitcoin fixes those problems. Um, I don't think that, you know, I don't think a lot of people feel like they have a problem with their food and then Bitcoin solves the problems that they have with their food, right? Just, I'm not saying that the dietary choices of Bitcoin maximalists are wrong. Maybe they're, maybe they're scientifically right. But I don't think that this is the answers that people are looking for right now in the world. I'm just going to jump in there. I, I'm not sure it's that um, it's the answer they're looking for. I think perhaps they're 
things that they find they weren't aware of before. It's yeah. definitely influenced me. It influenced me too, yeah. I mean, I, it, cha- it literally changed my diet. Bitcoin maximalists literally changed my diet and mm. I've been doing better f- for that. But that's like, you know, that's a completely cultural thing and isn't relevant to Bitcoin. It, it worked for me, but I, I also can appreciate that other people have other needs and other interests and I don't think it will work for them. You know, I'm a, um, um, you know, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a very uh, uh, private guy. I I know people wouldn't guess, but I'm, I consider myself very shy. I consider myself. Very, I know. I know. The, the, You're not fucking shy. I know. I know. But that's you know that's how I see myself. <laughs> I'm a, I'm an introvert. You know. I know it doesn't look like it, but I I'm, I consider myself an introvert. So those in, kind of in the meat space. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You're not course. an introvert of, on Twitter. No, of course I know. And that's, you know, that's, that's exactly the thing, you know, so we, we, I have this personality with, where, um, where, where when people recommend a diet on Twitter, I'm very likely to look into that and maybe find that it's useful for me. But that's a unique personality. I don't think that most people are like that. You know, I don't think that most people are seeking diet advice on Bitcoin, even if it, on, on Bitcoin Twitter, even if it's good. So what can we as Bitcoiners do? I think for you know for for the masses for, for 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 most of the world i think that you know for example if we see that people are for for whatever reason super interested in dogecoin and in nfts even if we find those laughable um i think it would make sense to reach out to those people and say hey um did you make some money on jpegs great for you happy for you good job now would you consider now that you have money before you were broke now you have money would you consider maybe taking 5% of it and, and storing it in Bitcoin long-term instead of holding it in apes and have that discussion about, hey, you know what, you, you did great, good job. Dan Hells is exactly the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And I think those are, you know, and that's, that's, that's in this point in time, right? In this point in time, culture seems to be fascinated with NFTs. Maybe in two years they wouldn't be and they will be fascinated with something else. And I think Bitcoiners should be there too. Instead of saying, hey, you guys are idiots and you're going to regret it in four years, how does that help anyone? That's probably true, but how is that helpful? <laughs> what I would like is to see, you know, see those people. Let's say that we agree that NFTs will go to zero and Dogecoin will go to zero. Let's say, I don't actually think that, but let's say that we believe that. Um, wouldn't it be great if they held 5% of their portfolio in Bitcoin? So when everything else goes to zero, now they're Bitcoiners. <laughs> they have some Bitcoin, everything else is zero. So they have the 5% is now 100%. So they're maximalist. Yeah. Wouldn't that be good though? Wouldn't yeah. that be good for Bitcoin? So instead we're calling them stupid so that two years from now we can tell them I told you so. Um, I don't see how that's helpful. I really don't. And... And, and those are the things that I think we should be doing. I think we should accept that the world is changing. You know, I think maybe because of Bitcoin um, inflexibility, which is good for Bitcoin, I think maybe we have this mindset that nothing in the world needs to change, you know, like, or, you know, nothing um, in the path of the world needs to change. So I think a lot of Bitcoiners believe that you know, or a lot of Bitcoin maximalists believe that maybe states will disappear or maybe will change substantially. Um, but that's kind of a predetermined path that they believe in. And they, I think a lot of people do, in the Bitcoin maximalist world do not see a need to update their view of that path. So yes, there is a path and the world will change, but the path is predetermined. It's not going to change based on what mere humans are doing. And I think that's wrong. You know, like the world is changing and that when, 
as the world changes, you need to update your views of how the future is going to look like. So, um, because it's not predetermined and, 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 you know, path dependency is a thing. So I think we need to look at those things and I think we need to understand what people are looking for now and we need to accept that in two years they'll probably be into other things and we should be there. We should always be there. We should understand their motivations. Why is it that they're interested in Shiba Inu and not in Bitcoin? There's a reason. doesn't mean we need to change Bitcoin to be more like Shiba Inu, but we need to understand where people are coming from. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I think where I was going with the question is more like where I first kind of realized like fundamentally what Bitcoin maximalism for me was at a time. Mm. And, and it was during the block size wars where... Mm. When originally it's like, oh yeah, big blocks, they kind of make sense because you mm. can get more transactions in, they're mm. cheaper. And then only when I dug into it and started reading about it, then I understood the uh, trade-off with decentralization. I was like, okay, no, it makes sense to have small mm. blocks. Great. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the small block side. Um, but there was nearly that change where you would probably explain it better than me, but there was nearly the hard fork that would have led to probably core being uh, removed. Mm. And uh, and what I did is I went and read all the, um, not Bitcoin talk, this is the mailing list emails. I retrospectively read them all. I, I saw how all these names were discussing it. I always particularly thought John Carvalho did a, a very, mm-hmm. very good job in, mm-hmm. in standing up to people and saying, what are you doing? This is crazy. Mm-hmm. And I've spoken to a lot of people since. And I never fully appreciated what that civil war was and what it meant. Because I was new. I only had a little mm-hmm. bit of Bitcoin. Now, if there was a new civil war that opened up, I would feel that threat a bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, Peter Todd has been discussing the idea of inflation. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I was like, yeah, we should get Peter Todd on. We should talk about this. But actually, that might fan the flames of a new civil war, mm-hmm. which would be bad for Bitcoin, probably bad for my Bitcoin. I don't want to, and when I talk about not wanting to do things that are bad for Bitcoin, I think actually entertaining that idea that 21 million uh, isn't... Um, fixed and that could be I I think that's bad and I don't want to do that so I'm not going Mm -hmm. to have that conversation just now even if other people want it to have I'm I'm not going to do it so for me maximalism was always about the absolute foundational principles of Bitcoin and defending the protocol Mm -hmm. and that's where I've always felt comfortable always felt safe and I've always aligned with that and and I think that's important I think Consensus is important. I think mm-hmm. 21 million is important. I think defending that is really important. I, I, and I think you can do it in a firm and you can do it in a you know, um, principled way without having to be aggressive or abusive. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what happened in 2017. Uh, this kind of fragmentation of what Bitcoin is is where I've got a little bit personally lost. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's all these other things. Like I, 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 ju- I judged a fragmentation. What am I being yelled at for today? <laughs> um, and it's this fragmentation of things where it's political or cultural. And, and that's where I started to get a little bit lost with it. It's like, I want to change the focus. I'm going to change my personal focus. What yeah. can I do? And actually, it's rounding back to what happened in 2018 and saying, okay, it's these foundational principles. That's mm-hmm. where I want to be focused. Somebody wants to shout at me because... Um, from the UK, and I think a national health service is good. Yeah. I can just ignore that conversation. I don't need to have it. Where is the important conversations we should be having? It's almost like I actually think anyone, and if, if I've said it, I apologize. Anyone who says groups together Bitcoin maximalism or Bitcoin maximalists in a sentence as a mm. criticism, I think that is a, 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 a trying to do that is fraught with danger and risk mm-hmm. because it's too broad. 
Yeah. I'd rather say, okay, if it's about uh, altcoins, let's discuss that. If it's about um, pr- uh, monetary max- maximum, let's, let's debate that. If it's about uh, a specific issue, let's do that. But mm-hmm. suddenly to say all, all Bitcoin maximalists, this, bad, this, I think you've got a problem there because it's a, you, you're att- attacking somebody's identity. Mm-hmm. And in attacking their identity, they're going to be defensive. And you actually haven't really made an argument. Mm-hmm. It's like even when I criticized my Bitcoin maximists, I actually tried to like categorize a group of them, the dot hodl types that came over the last two years, who just are relentless. And it's not just yeah. mean words. The, you know, some of the things have been done to some people are actually quite devastating. Yeah. And that and that so that's where I've kind of focused in on. Yeah. Yeah. I um you know, I've I've definitely talked about that a bunch, but honestly, I think that the thing I'm you know, I don't I don't personally want to make it about um, people being nice <laughs> online. You know, like it yeah. is. It's not that it's meaningless. It is. It has a meaning, and it does affect how people view us. But I don't think that's the main thing. I think that um, you know, Bitcoin used to be seen, and I think that was true up until uh, the end of the 2017-18 bull market. I think Bitcoin used to be seen as the king of crypto, right? That 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 was an actual term that people used. And people would very often speak somewhat amicably about altcoins. They would say, well, they exist, all of them are scams, but it's like, you know, who knows, whatever. But, you know, take the, with a lot of, with a large grain of salt, Bitcoin is the king. The rest are, you know, whatever, maybe something comes out of it one day. Um, today, we have a very different view, I, th- I feel like, it's at least in the, you know, at least in, in, in the public discussions where, um, Bitcoin is seen as completely separate, has nothing to do with crypto. All of crypto is necessarily a scam, but also Bitcoin is something that shouldn't interface with that at all. Now, look, here's the thing. If we believe that, and this is the, the one thing, if you ask me what I, what I would try to change, what I'm working towards is, is if we believe that Bitcoin one day is going to be um, a currency that people use day to day, um, or maybe even not day to day, but for big purchases. Maybe they use it for savings, whatever. But if, if we ex- expect that things will be denominated in Bitcoin, that people will use the Lightning Network to pay for things sometimes, how come the people don't use Bitcoin as a currency in the digital realm now? There's this now a digital economy that didn't exist two years ago. It's big. It's not small. It's billions of dollars big. People are buying NFTs from each other. People are buying those altcoins. I understand that a lot of them are scams. Maybe all of them, fine. But people do the, the digital activity. How come they're not using Bitcoin as the currency for that? They, when, used, they used to. They, they used they, to. I mean, they do on some. I remember back in, when I was uh, trading shitcoins back in 17, 18, I was on Bittrex. Yeah, and, and back then everything was paired against Bitcoin. Everything was paired against Bitcoin. And then there was this first exchange, I can't remember what it was called, that came out and then you could do it with Ethereum. I can't remember what it was, and then some of them would do have a, some Ethereum pairs. Yeah, you could do that with on Poloniex. Yeah, and and but over time, I think most of it transitioned either to stable coins. So most today, when people are trading old coins, they're doing that against stable coins, against the dollar. Or um, when you trade NFTs on Ethereum, you're going to buy it with ETH. When you trade NFTs on Solana, you're going to buy them with Sol. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand why we're not trying to. To be part of that, why isn't Bitcoin? Why should if if there is a digital economy, and you know you can, 
there was a there was an economy of of drugs on on Silk Road. I, I think a lot of people would consider that immoral. I don't, but I think a lot of people do. It's definitely a you know it's definitely a uh, there's definitely a, an argument and debate around around um, dark markets, right? But Bitcoiners back then said, "Look, I'm not making a moral judgment about what you should or shouldn't buy. I'm just saying that Bitcoin should be." A currency that people use in markets where it's not clear the the legal background isn't clear, then Bitcoin should be there and and be a solution for those people. And the market will figure it out if it's good or bad. I, I don't know. They'll, they'll figure it out. I think Bitcoin should be. Why isn't Bitcoin the currency used to trade Uniswap shitcoins? Why isn't the isn't it the currency that's used to trade NFTs? There is a digital economy. It's real. It's big. Bitcoin can't even be used there. This is a problem. How come? I mean, How will it be used in the real world if it can't even be used there? It's not technically a con, it just hasn't been built out. Yeah. Yeah. Technically, why not? There's no reason why not. But there's it seems like we gave up. <laughs> you know, it feels like like this is the perfect, you know, this is the perfect thing that people have dreamed up about in early Bitcoin. It's a digital economy. People can um build and make business anonymously. Right? Like think about an NFC project. And again, a lot of them are scams. Whatever. I'm not I'm not here to protect them. Or defend them, but but think about an NFT project. You get often you get com- people who are completely anonymous. They start a project, they create a community, they create interest in it. Sometimes they throw real life events. Um, sometimes they give some sort of of service in return for buying the tokens, or even and, a physical object, or sometimes that too. And they do that anonymously. Are most of most of them speculative scams? Yeah, but but. So what? It's the it's the it's the exact thing we were talking about with Bitcoin. It's a circular economy where people are anonymous. They can build things without other people giving them permission, without registering anything, without asking for permission. They just do it. <laughs> and Bitcoin isn't used there at all. What, why How do you come? think? Why why do you think it hasn't been there? I think we gave up. I think we gave up. like there there is a reason you know for uh, Ethereum people to promote the use of ETH. As the currency there, there's a reason for the Solana people to promote the the use of Sol in those ecosystems. No one is even trying to promote Bitcoin because I think Bitcoiners gave up. I think we gave up. I think that a what lot. Do you of, mean, sorry, what do you mean by gave up? I think that because I'm not sure because gave up means it's like oh I can't be bothered to do this, or is it just that a bunch of people said I think all this stuff's bullshit. Let's not distract ourselves. With- was it bullshit when, I mean, was it bullshit in 2013 and 2014 when all exchanges were trading shitcoins against Bitcoin? Was it, I mean... So then it's really down to whoever creates and runs the project. Why have the people who've created and run the project decided not to add Lightning support in? Because you know, the owners of Polyneex and, and Bittrex allowed you to have those pairs. The people who've created OpenSea, they could add Lightning. Why? Why, they haven't, could. why haven't they? That's, they? That's it's not down to Bitcoin. It's down to those who've chosen not to do it. Sure, but but of course. But if we see ourselves as people who try to promote the usage of Bitcoin in the world, if we say that our goal is to make Bitcoin mainstream, and we couldn't even convince people who are building a digital circular economy to use Bitcoin, how are we going to convince nations? That's that's my question. We couldn't even convince OpenSea. So how are we going to convince the you know the real economies to 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 accept Bitcoin? That's that's my question. I think you know I think it's the most obvious testing ground for using Bitcoin at scale. El Salvador is not a good testing ground to test Bitcoin at scale because 
the people of El Salvador are not ready for it yet. You know, that's not their fault. I'm not saying they're doing a bad job. They're just not ready for, for using Bitcoin as their main currency. Um, but th- those digital communities are ready for it. They are using ETH. They're fine with the vol daily. They're fine with the you know with managing their own keys. They're fine with all of the those issues. They're okay with it. And we couldn't win them over. How come we couldn't get them? They, they they're on board. So I think so. When I say that, I think that Bitcoin maximalism is not doing its job. That's what I mean. I think we, you know, those are the things we talked about. Is that, I don't know if you know the term. It might just be British or it might be everywhere. But it's cutting off your nose to spite your face. <laughs> Um, yeah. is, is it some of that? Is it like, well, we don't want to get involved with that, so we won't, but actually you've missed an opportunity. Then. I think so. Yeah, I yeah. think so. And I don't want to miss the next one. We're not going to get OpenSea probably to, to, to adopt Bitcoin and Lightning at this point. Maybe, you know, in 10 years when Lightning grows, but we're not going to get them to do it now probably. But the next opportunity, I want to be there, you know? I want to be, okay, well, those communities continue to grow and Bitcoin needs to be a part of that. Because we'll learn from that, like we want to, we want to make Bitcoin be a, a a currency that people actually use. There, here are people who want to use it as currency, and we, you know, we we're not even trying to, to approach them. We're not trying, we're not trying to evangelize it. Why? Well, maybe it comes back to that holding the line thing. If you know, if you're yeah. somebody who promotes having Lightning on OpenSea, you're basically saying, okay, I'm kind of okay with NFTs, and a lot of people have been very critical of NFTs in that you're. You're basically buying the JPEG. Yeah. And you're paying a lot of money for it. And it isn't kind of unique because you can copy paste it. Sure, so really yeah. then you're buying a hash. All that all that argument. Yeah. Which by the way I buy. I don't I've never owned a single NFT. I maybe it's just because I'm old. <laughs> I think I just it's just not for me. I think yeah, it's fine. I think it's not for most people in the world. That's fine. But, but is there it is like, a, who there cares? is a community who wants it. Fentanyl is not for everyone, but some people yeah. Would, yeah. want to buy that with Bitcoin. Yeah. And it's it's a, look it's a group that they're on board they want this they want a currency that is fluctuated they're they're fine with that they they want a currency that is that requires them to hold the keys they want all those things and we we're not even trying we're not even evangelizing we're not even how come that's the exact thing we always talked about yeah some of it is scams a lot of it maybe all of it so what so what well some people don't want to be associated with scams <sighs> I mean look. Uh, sure, but you. So they wouldn't have been associated with Bitcoin in 2013 either. They wouldn't have been, you know, like how do you grow Bitcoin to where it is today? You need to, you know, you need to put your fingers on your nose and not smell the stench of all the scams that were around since day one, and all of the Ponzi's and all of the like everywhere. Not just in altcoins, like literal Bitcoin casinos that ran away with the money. There, like, there's so many stories about those. Um, but Bitcoin doesn't get anywhere if you don't if you don't dive in and, and, and do it anyway, you know? Yeah, it's, it's there are a lot of scams. There will continue to be a lot of scams. But this is how we got here, by saying, okay, it's not only scams, though. There are other things, and we need to focus on those. And I refuse to accept that 100% of everything happening in the NFT space is 100% a scam. There are good things happening there. There are people you could, you know, you could have hundreds of interviews with people who changed their lives, transformed their lives, not by scamming people, who found a community of people who appreciate their art, appreciate their um, whatever, their management skills, what have you. Like there, there are big, substantial communities that do the exact things we always talked about in Bitcoin early on. There are circular economies that are digital, and people can be anonymous and can be whoever they want. That's what we wanted. If we can't convince them, how are we going to convince like Germany <laughs> to adopt Bitcoin? To me, that's crazy. Like the, the people are ready; they want it, and we can't get to them. Well, well, maybe it's a different point though. Is that some of these people are evangelizing why Bitcoin is so important, mm-hmm. 
And then if somebody gets some Bitcoin and then they use that with some other scam, that Bitcoin becomes guilty by association. Yeah. And but it's supposed to be money, right? Like true, true. But it's that kind of it's that um, it's that view of the world that some people have. A yeah. more kind of I understand the view. Yeah. I understand the view. And I think as I said before, I think the intents are are almost always good. Um, I understand the view. I understand where people are coming from. I understand why they don't like these scams. I understand why they don't want to be involved. I get it. Um, I just think it's not working. I think we're missing out on big things by not doing that. I mean, I, I agree with a large part of what you're saying. Because the reason why I wanted to have the conversation, yeah. I could have had a what is maximalism with a maximalist. And, yeah. and I will also do the one with Rizzo. And I will yeah. carry on the conversation. But I wanted to have it with you because I knew it would be a different point of view. I'm on board with a lot of what you're saying. Not, not everything. Yeah. Why don't you think some people, why do you think some people entirely reject what you're saying? Like, so if we had Mr. Hoddle here, mm. he would have rejected a lot of what you're yeah. saying. Why, why do you think that is? Some of it is my style, for sure. I okay. think that um, a lot of it is just that. And, and you know, to that, I would just say that I'm not really, you know, I'm not trying to convince Bitcoin maximalists to change their minds. I'm, my, my interest is in <laughs> the rest of the world, you know? So that's why I think a lot of the Bitcoin maximalists find my style kind of repelling, honestly, that's fine. Um, but I, I think that also, um, other than that, I think that, again, it comes from, um, from really good intentions where they remember that in 2017, a lot of these were all scams and they weren't circular economies. You know, those things didn't happen. It was just make-believe if, if that, sometimes it wasn't even make-believe, it was just a, you know, <laughs> just a scam that was named a scam and whatever. So, um, so they're saying, look, nothing changed, it's the same. And I'm saying, well, look deeper. I think, I think that people have those burns from, from four years ago and they do not want to look deeper again. I didn't want to look deeper for the longest time. So, but once I did, I saw, look, yeah, still a lot of is a scam, majority is a scam. But there are things that are happening that are real that didn't exist before and are, you know, have been made better than what they were before. So we can't ignore that. There's a, there's a couple of significant divides. Um, there is a divide between Bitcoin maxis and ETH maxis. There's mm -hmm. a divide between Bitcoiners and altcoiners. But there's also a divide between uh, Bitcoiners and, say, people like, i am just use myself here not to, just because I think it's a useful uh, uh, example whereby maybe I don't ideologically fit with some of their some people's worldview, or I'm willing to have conversations they wish I wouldn't have. Mm -hmm. How do you think we bridge that divide? Like, because I, I don't think I don't think this conversation. I don't think there's any downside to having it. Right, that's yeah. why I'm happy to have it. I think, as I said, the Peter Todd one with regards to inflation, I think there's a downside to having that. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that now. But I don't think there's a downside to this. Yeah, other people won't be happy it's happening. Mm -hmm. How do we bridge that divide where we perhaps stand by the strong principles of Bitcoin, but enable maybe a more open and fluid conversation around particular ideas? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I will, <laughs> I honestly don't know. I, I think, you know, people seeing the way I speak about it, I think would probably uh, determined that I, I, I gave up on trying to do that. I'm, I'm not trying to, to bridge that gap anymore. I'm not trying to get to Bitcoin Maxwell's to see my view. I don't think they're ready to, that's the truth. Um, or maybe I'm not ready to convince them, but either way, I don't think we are in a place where we can make that connection. Do, I don't know how. Do honestly. you think maybe it's a different approach though? So like if it felt less trolly, 
and felt more For like sure. here, guys, I troll something. You know, yeah. Again, uh, let me give another example. One of the things I that's high on my mind at the moment is that, um, and I read every review of the podcast that goes up on Chartable, and I read all the comments on you, well, not all of them, a lot of them, mm-hmm. is that um, I never want the show to to feel like it's pigeonholed in one political area. So if it feels very towards the right or libertarianism, I want more people from the left. Now I'm actively pursuing trying to get Bitcoiners from the left in because I think it's an mm-hmm. important part of the conversation to happen. Yeah. Yeah. How how do I'm wondering how do I how do I bridge that gap? Because I like I say I pissed a lot of people off recently and I yeah. with no direct intention. Yeah. Yeah. Um but don't know. <laughs> it's hard. Look, I think um I guess there are two camps of people. There are people that exist and there are quite a lot of them who, you know, they want to see you fail. They want to see other prominent Bitcoin figures fail. That's what they want. That's their goal, for real. Their goal is not to stop scams. They want to see Peter fail. They want to see, I don't know, Pomp fail. They want to, I'm just throwing out names. It doesn't matter who. And, and they're just going to jump on every opportunity to help you fail, you know. <laughs> so they'll just wait for you to say something and they'll find a way to twist it into making you look bad. Those people exist, and I don't think you can change their mind. Um, and they're not, they're not, it's not a small group, you know, it's a substantial group of people. Um, I think there's definitely a lot of Bitcoiners, a lot, I think most of them, who are very reasonable people. Um, and they're very willing to have a discussion. So I think what you're doing, those discussions with people one-on-ones, I think, you know, that's probably the way, right? Like that's... Mm. Um, Do you know what it's a shame? Some of the one-on-one conversations that happen in private mm. don't happen with a microphone. Yep. And sometimes they don't want to have it. Yep. Um, I had a chat with someone about Monero and they're Bitcoin maximists there, but they were saying, yeah, and I think a number of people should actually should use Monero and mm. not use Bitcoin for certain transactions. I was like, oh, cool, should we make a show about it? They're like, nope. <laughs> not saying that publicly. And yeah. that's that's where you come back to the, the religion in that... Um, uh, there are risks to standing mm-hmm. out. Yep. There are uh, economic risks. There are risks with reputation to stand out and challenge certain ideas. Somehow, like certain people have got away with it. Yeah. But uh, there are certain reputational risks to having certain conversations. That to me is, I actually always find sad. Yeah. But then maybe that comes back to the point like the guns. It's like you've got to hold that line. And if that is the truth, then fine. I understand it. I'll still do my thing, but I totally understand what you're doing. And maybe we will end up with these uh, splintered subcultures in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. We have the absolute monetary maximalists, and they're really important because they yeah. can stand by and ensure that people understand what money is and you know, try and protect uh, people from uh, holding too much shitty fear in the wrong uh, jurisdiction. Then maybe you've got the protocol maximalists who are going to absolutely protect mm-hmm. protocol from having bits that get um, rolled out which aren't ready or whatever. And that's absolutely cool. And then... Maybe you're going to have these cultural cultural maximums. Maybe that's just the way it's going to be, and people are going to find their own camps. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it might be. <laughs> uh, it's. I think that the, the there's um, um, the one thing you, you know, like sure, people will have different opinions. People will have um, different things they care about very deeply. Want things they want to hold the line on. I understand that. I think, and I do think a lot of it comes from good intentions. But um, the one thing I'm always surprised about, no matter how many times it happened, I'm still always surprised about how people can't just have a discussion, you know, just have, 
hey, you know, like, like we started this discussion and said, hey, we're friends. We disagree about a lot of things, but we're friends. We can have a conversation, mm. respect of, respectful conversation. And then, you know, maybe we leave when we still disagree. But um, the idea that you need to attack a person personally that was your friend up until a week ago, just because they, they said something that you disagree with, that you think you should hold the line on. I, I just, you know, I think that that is an approach. I don't think it's productive for um, for what people claim are the goals, right? I, yeah, and I think you see that in many, you know, in politics, you see that everywhere. I don't think people do that in order to further their um, stated political goals. I think they do that in order to signal uh, virtue. Um, but everyone has their own has their own moral framework. Like yeah. I, I've. Yeah, I've, there's been people who've been in my life previously aren't friends anymore because I don't like certain opinions. You know, certain areas I have just like hard limit. You know, but yeah. any form of discrimination, I just I've got no time for that. Yeah, you know, I just can't be bothered to be around someone who is just an over racist. That's okay, but I mean, what, of what I'm saying is, but but some people they've probably they maybe got to a point where money is their center to their moral framework, and if somebody doesn't. Align with that, and then fine. I'm done with you, John. That's John, John Vallis wrote this brilliant article this week about uh, of monsters and maximalism. Mm. It's brilliant. Open to the article when he talks about maximalism. He said he's found a group of people identify with him on a whole range of issues, and that's super cool to him. It's about freedom, and mm-hmm. and that's great. And and I and I get that. And so perhaps that's why it is. I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm that's gonna, fantastic. If you're saying, yeah, I just don't want to be around other people. I want to focus on the thing that yeah. I care about. That's fantastic. But um, I, I sense a lot of, um, uh, you know, what it reminds me of. It reminds me of uh, uh, people disowning their uh, children or or parents over voting for Trump or yeah. over not taking the vaccine. Um, we, we've heard a lot of that. You know, a lot of political things where you, you say, well, this is this was an actual f- family or the, those were very close friends who just went separate ways because someone voted for Trump or someone had some view on COVID. That to me, um, I'm, I'm just saying that I don't think it's productive for the presumed goal. I think it's a, it's a virtue signaling thing, you know, like you, you you get to go to dinners and stay to your friends. Yeah, I'm not talking to my son anymore because he, he voted for Trump and everyone was like, oh yeah, you're 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 great. That's that's you're a great yeah. father. So that's not about furthering the the <laughs> you know furthering the support of liberal ideas at all. It's about of getting approval from your friends. Well, and also it, cre- it can create a coercive pressure where yeah sometimes yeah the eyes are looking down on you yeah. Yeah, that's you, true. You better not talk about that. You better not hold and, that opinion. And some people, yeah, and some people did take the vaccine because they felt um, pressure, right? Or the other way around. Maybe they didn't take the vaccine because they felt pressure from the other side. Um, so, yeah, you're right. It does have some effect. But I think that it's mostly a virtue signaling mechanism. Um, maybe I think it would be helpful to be kind of honest about that. Like how many times? <laughs> um, or, you know, just just... You know, does it make sense that a, a parent would brag to to his, his friends about disowning their child over voting for Trump? Does it make sense? I don't think it makes sense. It's the society we want to live in. So, but it happens. You know, it happens. It happened a lot, and and I think the same thing kind of happens in the in the maximalism realm. And I don't. By the way, I don't see that um, as much on, let's say, the Ethereum side. There are Ethereum maximalists, but I don't see them. You know. 
it happens. I'm not saying it never happens, but I'm not seeing them being that aggressive towards friends. And you see that all the time, you know, like you see people who move from Ethereum to other chains and they, they stay friends, you know? So why is it unique to Bitcoin? I don't know. I think that it becomes more and more of a political uh, movement and a religious movement. And I think that's why it's going more through those places. I don't know if it's bad or good, but I think... Yeah, I mean, maybe long-term they were proven right because this is so important. Mm -hmm. This is such an important technology. Yeah. It has given uh, people around the world uh, uh, an, a certain amount of freedom they didn't have before. And whether that is uh, somebody fleeing Ukraine and is able to mm. uh, leave us some of their money or somebody protesting in Canada or somebody trying to you know, earn money in a different country. There are so many example case studies. Maybe it, it is so important that it turns out those people were right. And if they mm. were great, like, yeah, they were great. But I find it very hard to lose a friend over yeah. a difference of opinion without having at least sat down and had a talk with them. Yep. Say, hey, let's talk about this. And I'll probably still stay friends with them. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. What about you, Danny? You got anything? No, I think you guys covered it. By the way, if you shitcoin, you're fired. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to cover? Or are you? Um, I think we did cover it pretty well. Yeah, man. Well, yeah. I appreciate you coming in to do this. Uh, I'm glad we got to do it in person. Yeah, this once. was awesome. Yeah, it's, just, it's a much better conversation. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy it. And we also get to go and have a beer and talk yeah. about what we disagree on. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I don't know if you have anything you want to send anyone to. No, please don't. Like, It's better for you if you just... After this conversation, just erase me from your life. Yeah. Raise Udin. Go and check out my football club instead. We'll do that. <laughs> oh, Udin, man, love you, dude. Thank you for coming on. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, the best thing to do is head over to What Bitcoin Did Telegram channel. And if you want to support the show, all we ask is you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. <laughs>